Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We've got a great new show for 2023 with a man that's been uh, with us on and off for the last two or three years, the esteemed journalist and writer, author, Cool Cat Charlie Pierce, talking to us from his home in Massachusetts. We call these episodes Checkpoint Charlie. So we're now in Checkpoint Charlie 2023. And with the way things are going out in D.C., we'll probably be talking to him more regularly than before. But we're happy to have him. Charlie, Happy New Year. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Paul. It's good to talk to you. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to everybody on the range. Beautiful. It's uh, We are enjoying a beautiful day up here in Duluth. We've gotten quite a bit of snow. It's supposed to get to uh, 20 below this weekend, but I say bring it on. Oh, beach weather. <laughs> well, it's not like there's been anything going on on the political scene, uh, Charlie. Oh, and I, know. I, I went through my house and my garage in guitar cases. I found no secret documents. What about you? I, I know. I, I, as far as I know, I don't have any. I, don't, I, just, there, I have certain boxes that I don't want to look in because I, I'm afraid of what's actually in there, but I don't think I have any uh, I think <laughs> yeah. I have these classified documents. Somebody had but, a good I mean, I, I've got to believe that every living ex-president and vice president is like scrounging a garage right now. Oh, absolutely. Somebody posited on Twitter the other day that uh, Jimmy Carter has probably stashed documents in every home he's built for Habitat for the Humanity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, I mean, man, I mean man, man, Jimmy's in his mid-90s. He doesn't need this crap. You no, know? he's... Uh, and and uh, my favorite ex-president. By, I mean, I love JFK, but uh, uh, I just love Jimmy Carter. He pardoned the draft resistors on his first day in office, and he's uh, been done nothing but great things during his presidency and certainly his post-presidency. Yeah, my my daughter, my daughter Molly, uh, is uh, probably the youngest big Jimmy Carter fan that Love I know. Him. I am. She, became, she started reading about him, and she just became an enormous fan. She wants to go down. She wants to go down and, and, and go to Bible school on Sunday with him. That would be amazing. And then, as long as she's down south, go and see if she can see uh, Al Green uh, preach at his church in Memphis. Yeah, I, I, actually, I've done that. Really, and, and I'll tell you what. It's it's a, everybody should go. It's first of all, it's a beautiful church. Mm-hmm. Uh, Second of all, it's Al Green, for God's sake. Yeah, right. Close word When were you there, Charlie? Oh, Lord. Uh, when, was I, when was I in? I, was, I spent a week down there uh, researching a piece in Mississippi and staying at the Peabody, in northern Mississippi and staying at the Peabody. Uh, sure. What's that? 90, what? Oh, boy. 92, maybe? Did you, see the, did you see the ducks uh, walk through the... Uh, oh, yeah. I saw the oh. ducks every day. Are you kidding? It I'm is very fan. big on ducks. I like ducks. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it, I don't, yeah. First of all, first of all, that the lobby of the uh, of Peabody is one of the great places in America. Oh my God, it's unbelievable. I mean, you feel like a robber baron. Sit down yeah. there and, and and you know get get yourself some bourbon and watch the world go by. 
Yeah, no, I uh, I enjoyed it. I'd never been down in Memphis until three uh, years ago. Willie Walker, who was one of the, the great rediscovered soul singers, who I played with for ten years, was up for the uh, uh, for several awards. Um, Willie, unfortunately, passed about uh, two years ago. But I had the chance just to hang out in Memphis, and man, does that town have history! Oh, it, it's it's one of my favorite places in the country. It really, just, it, it really is. I mean, you can, I mean, between Dr. King and Elvis and you know W. C. Handy and we keep talking. Al Green, keep going. I mean, yeah, Sun Records. And yeah, the Sun, the, the Sun Records, the Stacks Museum. Oh my! Yeah, I make really Yeah, what? No, it's really amazing. You know, I was staying with a guy who was actually working uh, for Graceland at the time. So we got a freebie, so we are able to go in and uh, take a tour of Graceland. But uh, what was interesting, his house was not too far from uh, Elvis's original house that he bought for his mom and dad. But it was also within a mile of where the uh, two black sanitation workers were crushed in the uh, in the uh, garbage truck which of course started the uh, uh, the strike which uh, dr. King went down and spoke with the weekend he was uh, assassinated oh wow really is, yeah. there, is, is there is, is that marked and stuff yes there's a mark marking right there yeah you can uh, wow that's that's real that's that's a, that's a first of all good on Memphis for marking the place but uh, that's a uh, that's a that's a deep that's a that's a historical deep cut right there. Yeah, people for don't, sure. I mean, a lot of people don't remember why Dr. King was in Memphis at all, let alone the incident that provoked it. Yeah, and then uh, uh, and then we went to the hotel, the Lorraine. Actually, it was weird, Charlie. I was standing outside taking a picture. And there was this guy with his gal uh, talking next to me. And we started talking for some reason about radio. And he was a uh, right wing DJ. He's got a show in D.C. that I I don't know what station it was, but he followed uh, back at the time. He followed um, uh, Rush Limbaugh's show and whatever the there's probably more than one right wing radio station in Washington, D.C., but he was actually too a um, what the heck? I'm trying to forget the guy. Guy's first name was Billy. He was a big CBS television guy. This guy was a stepson. Uh, but it was yeah, you couldn't. And then if you go, have you have you? Did you go to the Lorraine, Charlie? Yeah, you go through the tunnel and you go up to the Rubing House. Yeah, and then yeah, you go to. Uh, 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 but the the Civil Rights Museum, it, it probably wasn't there when you were there. But it is incredible. It's now it's right in the uh, as you enter the Lorraine, and then you can literally go up and and get in the room covered by glass, of course, and see the actual room that Martin Luther King stayed in while he was there. Uh, and they still have his suitcase, this kind of yeah. unpacked laying in the bed. And then you can look exactly where. And we all know uh, the picture of when. Uh, Dr. King was laying on his back after he was shot, and Jesse Jackson, everything pointed across the street uh, to the rooming house where supposedly James uh, James Earl Ray uh, took those shots. 
Yeah. Uh, they, uh, I you know, it, 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 it's, it's, I, the, I've been, the Civil Rights Museum was there when I, the last time I was there. So I didn't mm. get to go through it. I haven't been to the one in Washington yet. I'm looking forward to that. But, uh, uh yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot, boy, there's a lot of history in that town. Yeah, for it's sure. Big old, you know, it's just a, you know, it was a, you know, big old, you know, river town, cotton town. Uh, you know, the, uh, you know, and, and the court, and as we talked about, it's just, it's planted thick with music. One of the things I liked was I went to the Sachs uh, Museum, which is in the old studio mm-hmm. uh, on Macklemore, and they kept the the main recording studio pretty much intact. And if you go in there, you know they got they have a couple of old like you know guitars and 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 you know trumpets and stuff laying around, and you can fool around a little bit. The sound in that room, you, you instantly understand why the music that came out of there was so good. Well, it sounds you know, absolutely perfect. Yeah, we wouldn't have America as you and I know it if it wasn't for uh, Memphis, Tennessee. I'll tell you the uh, the uh, the second half of the twentieth century would have been considerably more boring. Yeah, that's for damn sure. I went the very first time I ever went to Memphis. The second time. I went to Memphis. It was when I was still doing the NPR show, and we did a kind of a mock show for an NPR convention in Memphis. And we had a reception. This was a it was a, the annual convention of all the station managers for NPR, and we had a reception on the roof of the Peabody. Wow! And uh, our guest of honor was Sam Phillips. Wow! And I, you know, we were, you know, we all got introduced to him, and I shook his hand, and I said, "Mr. Phillips, I want to thank you because you screwed up the world in the best way anybody else ever did." <laughs> and he, he threw back his head. He said, "I am so stealing that." <laughs> I mean, but think about it, man. Oh uh, yeah, there's a great Sun Records box set that came out. That I've got to get, uh, I got to go through my couch to to uh, dig up the, the coin to afford it. But uh, yeah, it's 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 really just incredible. I mean, think about it. Uh, just in that couple year period uh, at at Sun Records, Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, Johnny Cash, uh, uh, Mr. Blue Springsteen. Yeah, right. I mean, oh my goodness, goodness and gracious. And before that, I mean. It was uh, Sam Phillips who originally recorded Howlin' Wolf. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah and I, I was, uh, did... Uh, and of course, up the street, up across the street from the side entrance, uh, the, the front entrance of the, the Peabody are the studios of WGIA Records. Right. Where B.B. King and, and Sonny Boy Williamson were both this jockey. Right. And I believe that's where the great Dewey Phillips DJed out of, correct? Yes. That's right. Uh, which many people are many people confuse him. Of course, and they claim they believe he's Sam's brother, but he's not. Yeah, you know, I I have a CD. I'll burn it for you, and it's all a collection of DJ Phillips's um, uh, ra- uh, radio shows. And the guy was a little hopped up on 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 whiteies, but God, was he good! 
Yeah, I was, I was going to say everybody. Everybody was on speed one way or another. There. <laughs> Speaking about being hopped up on something, let's talk George Santos for a minute here. What's the latest? Well, What's- I mean, I, you know, I, I think George. I think the record George Santos made with Sun will stand the test of time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then you know, and then those uh, uh, PBS shows he did with Leonard Bernstein—they still, they still are. God, oh are, man, I'll, really tell you, I'll tell you what: when he when he was playing first violin with the New York Philharmonic, those were the days, boy. Those were the golden years. <laughs> what uh, does this guy? Was this guy even uh, even born in America? Do we even know that? Well, uh, that appears to be unclear, uh, and and of course, the the biggest problem we have is you can't trust him. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, was he born in Brazil? I have no idea. I mean, at this point, you know, I'll believe anything. Yeah. Well, except what he said, I'll believe anything anyone says about him, except anything he says about himself. <laughs> it's a very strange place to be in regards to a public figure. I, I, you know, in a way, I'm, I almost, you know, I agree with James Carville. I hope he sticks around as long so we can get every ounce of flesh out of that dude. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's the he's, I mean, he's he's the flavor of the week. But I'm telling you, there's going to be there's going to be plenty of time. That's going to be a target rich environment in the house this time for the next couple of years. Oh my God! Well, you know, I I I, I would love to find out Kevin McCarthy's middle name. I'm guessing it's Joe. <laughs> well, I did I, not the blog today. I I, uh, I I said that he was he was engaging in in more traditional forms of McCarthyism. Oh, my God. It's incredible. And for those of you that just uh, have tuned in, we're talking to uh, Charlie Pierce. He writes a great political blog for Esquire.com. Tell us a little bit more about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and this Lauren Boebert. I mean, how did this happen, for God's sakes? Uh, You get gerrymandered districts. Uh, where anybody with an R next to their name is guaranteed to get elected, and then you 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 win a primary. Once hmm. you won the Republican primary, uh, you know you're there. Uh, you can't lose. Uh, so, you know that's pretty much what they, you know that's pretty much what uh, what happened with both of them. I mean, certainly what happened with. I mean, you've got my. I mean, my favorite one of the whole bunch is Paul Gosar. Every time he runs for re-election, his entire family works against him. They do, yeah. they do commercials for his opponents. Wasn't he the one that posted the meme about uh, uh, murdering AOC? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he and Green both posted posted uh, posted on social media uh, depictions of members of Congress being slaughtered. Yeah, he, oh he did specifically AOC, but Green did a you know just kind of a general attack on the Congress. And this was, you know, within a month of January 6th. Yeah. It's, uh, so all of these uh, committees at the House former, all these investigative committees, I'd like to tell that last letter that they sent to the Justice Department, it sounds like the Justice, Justice Department is um, throwing some cold water on their access to everything they want to get hands on. Do you actually think these committees are going to do anything other than to embarrass the Republicans? Uh, well, I mean, they'll, you know, they'll, 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 they'll increase the, 
speaking fees of the members of the committees and, and they'll, right. you know, you know, essentially be program directors for every right wing radio show and TV show in the country. But other than that, they're not, they're not meant to produce anything. I mean, it's right. not like a, you know, you know, the January 6th commission, you know, it, it, part of its report is, is recommendations for the future. These, these are, these aren't policy making bodies. They're, you know, essentially exercises in propaganda. Uh, it's uh, you just you know I remember I saw a little clip of Bobert uh, her first day in the house when she was she got rid of the uh, uh, whatever those machines are called magnetometers or something that uh, yeah the, well the metal detectors yeah yeah and and she's she's going well get rid of these effing things and I'm going well you know I mean I, I understand the f bomb is used more. Uh, in modern discourse than ever before, but we don't need Congress people, senators doing this, speaking to their constituents, dropping f bombs. Well, I mean, you got you, you, you. I mean, you, to 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 appreciate that, you've got to respect the job you have, and none of these people do. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. None of these none of these people are in politics to help people. I mean, they're not. They're, these people aren't even in politics. To help rich people, they're in politics to get famous, basically, and to and to and, 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 and to increase the marketability of their brand, and that's it. It's not public service to them. Yeah, I mean, back back in the day, we you know we had you know we had crazy right wingers in Congress, and and you know everybody you know and they were tolerated, but they were at least interested in what was going on in their districts. Yeah, and they seem to have some sense of history, and some some sense of how the uh, the House and the Senate works. But uh, uh, these newbies are are completely clueless. Yeah, and they and and they were you know you know, you know I, I read a terrific book by a a really great historian from Yale named Joanne Freeman, and she wrote a book called Field of Blood, which is about violence in the Congress in the years leading up to the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of it, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, But when you think about it, those people were angry about slavery. Right. And about the nature of the United States. Mm-hmm. And what, what, was, what, what, what the country was going to be going forward. This is, you know, these people get, these people get angry over green m and m Right. Yeah, it's give me a break. I mean, I mean, I, I don't excuse. You know, um, I'm from Massachusetts, and it was, you know, one of our senators who got caned almost half to death by Preston Brooks. But that was a fight over slavery, over human yeah. slavery. Uh, you know, at the very least, there was, you know, at least the the, the, the you know, the violence had a little bit of high purpose behind it. Well, I do. Uh, I'm, I'm love seeing. Uh, I love seeing the uh, some sent- some severe sentences coming down for the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. Uh, now that we know the foot soldiers are getting charged, they're going to do time. When are we? Get, when are we going to get uh, the Donald involved here? Well, that's, we, I, mean, you know? I mean, that's that's the next step up the chain. One hopes. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. My friend Glenn Kirshner, who you see see on TV a lot, is a former. Former uh, U.S. Attorney, yeah. uh, he, he he says that he, he the way he puts it is they're 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 sentencing all the boots, but they have to go after the suits, basically. 
Yeah. But, but I'll tell you, there, there have been more people convicted of seditious conspiracy in the last two weeks than have been convicted of it in the last two centuries. <laughs> That's some serious stuff. It blows your mind. Uh, and then you've got, I mean, how many election deniers got reelected? You know, it's, it's uh, I'm not hopeful for the near future, but I really think, um, uh, I just think the, the GOP has short legs here when it comes to 2024, especially when you see all of these, uh, uh, the younger generation starting to vote. We've got Charlie Pierce on for the whole show tonight on the Wall and Power Radio Hour. We're going to take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour, hot new show for 2023 with the great Checkpoint Charlie Pierce. Charlie, I uh, was reading. Uh, first, wait a minute, Paul. First of all, that is an old, that is an OG jingle right there. <laughs> I, I feel like really, I feel like you should be well, queuing, you a, should be queuing up the five satins or something. <laughs> it was done by a trio of uh, lovely ladies from my hometown of Virginia, Minnesota, called the Divas. I was up recording an interview with them and other Iron Range musicians. And I said, hey, uh, ladies, I said, could you just give me something, a little 1950s bumper music? I'll tell you what, man, they had that thing done in 10 minutes, recorded it. That's the first take. Wow. I mean, but it's, it's really old school radio. Yeah. I thought I was back listening to WORC in Worcester. Yeah. Hey, uh, Charlie, I just saw you. I wrote a little bit about you heard... Uh, I don't know if, if you had a chance to see it, the new uh, documentary, Justice, about Brett Kavanaugh. Tell us what you know. No, I, I mean, I only know what I read in newspapers. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, obviously, it just debuted. and it, I mean, the whole thing was a covert operation, which I find fascinating. You know, they, they, they kept it. They didn't even, you know, they, they kept all of it a secret until they got to show it in Utah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I assume it'll be, it'll be in general distribution fairly soon. Uh, apparently it, it, you know, they, they have a, you know, another, at least another couple of, of, of women accusing him of, you know, really horrible stuff. But apparently the, the main thrust of the movie is that the FBI investigation that Jeff Flake called for in the middle of the hearing was a joke. Yeah. So it, it was absolute window dressing. We all knew that, but apparently the movie, the movie goes into it in some detail. Is there any, uh, you know, so we see it and we find all this stuff we we figured was there but didn't know about. Is there any way to remove this guy? No, I mean you can't under the under the you know under the the rules. I mean you know that the, first of first of all he's got to be impeached by the House and that's never going to happen. Right. At this point, uh, you can't impeach something for something someone for somebody for something he already did. Mm-hmm. Uh, they establish, I mean, he's something that for, you can't impeach him for past crimes. You've got to impeach him uh, for crimes in office. And, you know, unless he starts whipping it out to, you know, law clerks. Uh, and I don't put that past him, by the way. I'm just saying he hasn't yet, as far as we know. Uh, he's, you know, I mean, I, I mean, he's home and dried. But, I mean, I mean, I guess you can, I guess you can 
you know, demolish him as a public figure. But, you know, he, he became, you know, one of their hills to die on. And mm-hmm. one thing you can say about modern American conservatism, by and large, they do not kill their wounded, unlike the yeah. Democrats. I uh, I want to encourage everybody out there in uh, AM nine fifty Wall of Power Radio Hour Land to check out Charles Pierce on Esquire. You had a great line about that, Charlie. Uh, you're talking about when Lindsey Graham was defending Brett Kavanaugh during the hearings that he turned so many colors he didn't even ma- it didn't even match his tie. Yeah, he turned purple, which didn't ma- which didn't match his tie. I- I've never seen. I mean, I, I mean that was a what a god-awful moment that was. He was oh. screaming. Kavanaugh was screaming. Kavanaugh was, was summoning, you know, Amy Klobuchar's father's struggles with alcohol. I mean, it was awful. Yeah. I mean, you, talk about, you talk about feeling, you know, feeling embarrassed for the House when Lauren Boebert drops an F-bomb. I felt embarrassed, embarrassed for the United States Senate, you know, with, you know, this kind of behavior. Yeah, it's, it's uh, we're going through amazingly the twisted times uh now i gotta ask you a question as a buddy charlie should i still be mad at my ex-girlfriend's brother-in-law who was a hardcore lefty but he was not gonna vote for hillary clinton to save his life he was a bernie bro and uh uh i kept telling him i said text it's all about the supreme court and which we now no is it's truer than ever. Should I still be mad at him? Uh, yeah, I, I think you should probably be mad at him uh, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, because <laughs> because if you remember, a lot of the Bernie people, you know, were making noise of making noise about how they wouldn't be quote unquote blackmailed uh, by the threat with the, with the threat of a reactionary Supreme Court. Well, here we are. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this, this is you know, uh, this is the end of a very long march by them. This, this is you know, federal you know, uh, conservative hold the federal judiciary took close to forty years, and it's yeah, I mean, I think Biden's doing a great job undermining it at the in the lower courts right now. He's getting more judges confirmed by the Senate than I think any president ever yeah. in his first term, uh, and that's good. That will help. Uh, down the line, but you've got a six to three, a six to three on that Supreme Court for the first time since the 1890s. And I don't see any, you know, unless Clarence Thomas, you know, keels over or one of the, one of the two liberal women retires, uh, I don't see the numbers changing on that in any way. Yeah. Well, Thomas Thomas will strap himself to his seat for three weeks after he's dead rather than give it up. Well, to a Democratic president. The only thing you can hope is that if Clarence Thomas's wish uh, comes through to overturn the ability of two races to marry, and then he has to get a divorce because of it, he goes on such a long bender, he dies of alcoholism. <laughs> That's interesting, although why he, why he hasn't divorced the crazy lady by now is beyond me. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, uh, Supreme Court and uh, uh, Hillary Clinton's emails and the investigation. Let's talk about the FBI and this cat, Charles uh, McConnell. Oh boy, that that. I mean, I, I, I mean, we've all we've all gone through this once, once or twice or twelve times before. 
But this is a guy who may, this guy is, is the guy who may have the key to the highway. Mm-hmm. Um, he's involved. He's involved in the New York FBI field office, which was involved in essentially blackjacking Comey into reopening the, the uh, email investigation in October of 2016, which changed the calculus on the election completely. He was involved in, in, in you know, investigating the connections between the campaign and, and and the Russians. And it turns out he was, you know, doing business with this Oleg Duraposka, who's, you know, he's like the zealot of the Russian scandal. Every every time a new story comes out about that that particular scandal, Oleg Deripaska is standing in the back waving. Uh, so I mean, if this guy were to, I mean, I gotta believe that if they flip this guy and he starts giving it up, a lot of people are going to be very very nervous. This guy was the head of the FBI uh, foreign uh, counterintelligence section. Yeah, and he's doing it's... business with you know with a, with a crooked Russian oligarch, although. I repeat, I repeat myself because there's no such thing as an honest Russian oligarch. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, this, this, I'm, I'm very intrigued by this one. You know, uh, I loved your turn of phrase there. I was just reminded of a, I, there's a great uh, uh, Twitter family on there called Woody Guthrie Quotes, and he had a great line the other day. Because he always insisted, you know, if he was going to play for a cause, of which was the majority of his gigs later in life, uh, that it was a good cause. So people would go to um, Woody and go, Woody, could, could you play for us uh, for free? It's a good cause. He says, well, I don't play for bad causes. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Charlie Pearson. Uh, we'll be right back on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Don't touch that dial. Of the Wall of Power Radio Hour, our esteemed guest, Checkpoint Charles Pierce, talking to us from his home in Massachusetts. Charles, let's uh, continue that riff on uh, this Charles McMonagall and uh, the uh, Prasca's hands in the FBI. Now, Oleg also uh, has a nice picture of with Mitch McConnell. Didn't they open a? Yeah, a he's, the, he's the one who. He's the one um, McConnell tried to get sanctions lifted on him so he could build an aluminum plant in Kentucky. Wow! Uh, and that was uh, that was that was a little obvious even for the Republicans in Congress, and it fell through. But yeah, I mean the guy the guy is everywhere. Uh, uh, you know, he, you know, he's a very unremarkable oligarch. He's not the richest one. He's not. I mean, he's close to Putin, but he's not. I don't think in the in the inner inner circle. Uh, of course, I don't even know if Putin's alive at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, I, uh, in any event, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just remember, you know, we all heard about Darapaska during the Manafort stuff. Right. But, uh, you know, again, like, you know, he popped up with Mitch McConnell. He popped up with, you know, this guy, uh, this Magano character, uh, who goes to work for him. He retires and goes to work for the guy. <laughs> Come on. And what about Louis Free now? The you know old FBI director. He's got. Uh, isn't his law firm representing some uh, Ruskies as well? I don't know that to be a fact. I know. He, last I heard of Louis, he was teaching at Georgetown, but uh, I, I I don't know that. You're ahead of me on that one. If you if you if you know something. Yeah, that's uh, just you know just what I read. Just a headline. Hey, uh, let's take a let's well we'll take a, a soft left turn. From uh, from politics into music here, uh, we lost uh, Jeff Beck just a few weeks ago, one of the greatest electric guitar players of our time. And then recently, last week, we lost uh, David Crosby. Now, what was interesting about that was Roger Stone, who's a big JFK conspiracy theorist, as am I, uh, put on his, uh, mentioned he thought Crosby might have been killed because of his uh, uh, his theories on the JFK assassination, let's leave Roger Stone aside. Although I I have to put in a personal note here, I did actually send two records of mine to Roger Stone several years ago. The record I did with all R and B covers uh, with Willie Walker to him, and then I sent him because he had a book out about the JFK assassination. And actually, Roger Stone and I shared a few emails together. Um, oh man. You're lucky you're not under subpoena somewhere. <laughs> well, it goes back to uh, years ago, 1992, I had a record uh, called Whistle Past the Graveyard came out. And I went to a radio conclave, and no less a, a, a hipster than G. Gordon Liddy was there. And I have a picture with myself and G. Gordon Liddy. I sent it out to my Christmas card that year. My buddy, uh, Eddie Nagel, who ran Eli's Bar in downtown Minneapolis, wanted, got a copy of it and blew it up and put it in a frame on his wall. Uh, so there's Metza and G. Gordon Liddy, and underneath he said, uh, dirty, t- dirty Tricks Operative and Shady Deals Specialist pictured here with G. Gordon Liddy. <laughs> <laughs> it ended up getting stolen off the wall. But uh, were you were a David Crosby fan at all, Charlie? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I like uh, his Twitter persona a great deal. Yeah, uh, I, I you know, and, and like I, I think I wrote about this on the blog last week, on the occasion of his passing, that when I went away to college, uh, I discovered the uh, the value of the afternoon nap. Yeah, uh, and the way I would do that up in my dormitory room, and I would close the blinds, and I'd lay down on my you know dormitory bed. And I'd put on the first side of the solo album if I could only remember my name. Oh yeah, uh, and it just that just sent me into like just right into dreamland almost instantly. I mean, what? I don't think I've listened to the second side of that record three times. Oh, but, it's, it's a beautiful you know, record. That meditative kind of circular melody that starts the album off, "Music Is Love," which has Joni Mitchell and Neil Young and Graham Nash and all those guys. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a little bit fascinated by that whole. That whole Laurel Canyon crew, yeah, you know, that, I mean, there was a, there was a real kind of explosion of stuff there. 
then. And, you know, I understand that, you know, Crosby wasn't the, you know, the easiest guy to get along. In fact, if you read, and I recommend everybody read, uh, uh, Bill Graham's oral autobiography. I've got uh, it. Yeah. Uh, the people at the Fillmore hated CSN and Y. Mm-hmm. I mean, hate. I mean, the book is really good about, you know, what bands they loved, what bands they hated. They loved, uh, the Allman Brothers. They loved the Who. We're talking about, you know, people to deal with. Yeah. Uh, they loved the Who. They loved Jay Giles. Uh, they loved the old guys, Muddy Waters and those guys. And, 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 you know, and, and Bill Graham absolutely adored Otis Redding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Big, yeah. And, he, was, uh, uh, he said, you know, Bill Graham said Otis was the best. Yeah. Yeah, he, you know, he, and, and but they, the, the whole staff just hated CSN and Y. Uh, they, they were you know, apparently they were they were the first ones to have a ridiculous rider in their contract. Yeah, and they're all and they're also apparently they were always late for sound check, which everybody at the Fillmore East hated because they right. had to hang around. Uh, and uh, you know, you just you don't do that to the crew. I mean, you treat the crew well. Oh, absolutely! I mean, it, was, it was you know it was it was George Clooney who got into you know he punched out a director who he thought was treating you know a member of the 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 craft the person running the craft table at one of his movies shabbily. Yeah, uh, you know you don't you know you don't treat the grunts that way. Well, I learned that you know I learned that when I first started in this business, uh, I vowed to myself I would not be like some of the people. Who didn't have five minutes to me when I was starting out, and I, I think, to the best of my knowledge, I haven't been. But you know, there are people you need to do your job, and you treat them with respect. And apparently, CSN and Y, uh, particularly C and S, uh, were, you know, pretty awful to people. Some people used to refer to them as Crosby steals the cash. <laughs> I had a friend of mine who called them Crosby steals Nash and the guy with the talent. <laughs> but I think, you know, and subsequently, you know, give Crosby credit. He was making music till the day he died. And good music. I saw him three years ago in Minneapolis and he was on, he was on fire. Um, you know, there was, um, uh, and, and, not- and by the way, he had a beautiful voice. He had a, oh, yeah. a wonderful voice. And he was one of the first people to champion uh, and produced one of her first records, Joni Mitchell. Right. Yeah. And yeah, then, that, and then, and, 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 and then, uh, then Graham Nash bird dogged his quail. <laughs> There's a great song that uh, was posted by this guy Steve Silverman called Yvette. That uh, it's the only song that Joni Mitchell and David Crosby wrote together, and he plays both of their versions and they're they're just gorgeous and just to get back to that the record if i could only remember my name yeah. i've always considered that that was the apex of the hippie dream everything went to hell afterwards but uh that record's got more good music on it to exemplify the time than just about any record uh, yeah i mean it's got you know it's got jerry garcia and a couple of guys who's dead on it uh i just you know i just think it's it, it's the first side of it is just so damn hypnotic uh, that 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 it just always put me right in the zone to like well the, and the, the, the problems of the day melt away. The, what 
those Martin guitars and those twelve strings were so well recorded by the by the uh, sound young sound singer named Stephen Bar- Barncard. It, it was just yeah, it, you can really luxuriate in that record, Charlie. We just got about and, a minute. And, you know, in terms of, and just to, just to make a point, I mean, I don't know what I mean. I don't know what I'm, I'm almost I'm almost I'm almost unable to describe Jeff Beck. Yeah, he is so far beyond category. Uh, I, you know, I, I posted on, I think it was on Twitter, might have been on Instagram, uh, when he died. I posted uh, the version that he did, the instrumental version of A Day in the Life. Yeah. By the Beatles, which is impossible to do, but he manages to do it. And by the way, who is the woman who plays bass for him? Yeah, a young woman, yeah. I uh, I follow her on Twitter. I couldn't tell you. She got kind of She's a confused. really, enough. really good. She's really good. Yeah, and she was like 17 when she started playing with him. Uh, he had an ear for talent. And if you look back at those, you know, the English big three, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, Jeff was the guy that kept pushing the boundaries to the very, very end. Right. I mean, if you listen to, you know, he's the, he's the guy who decided Rod Stewart could sing, and he was right. <laughs> That record, yeah, truth, I love. Uh, you know, and the other thing about Beck, he looked great until the end. He never really changed. No, that's true. He was always he was. I mean, he was always you know he was always a little bit weather beaten. Yeah, I mean, you know, even even as a youngster. Uh, but he had you know he just he did all he want all the guy wanted to do was play the music he heard in his head. And, and if you liked it, you liked it, and if you didn't, you didn't. And, he, and the thing is, he played with everybody. Yeah. And he loved American Hot Rods, and uh, and he, I, I posted, I said, he disproved the national axiom that there's not any money above the 12th fret. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, it means that uh, don't get too fancy with your guitar playing. And a lot of, oh, lot oh, of well, yeah, yeah he, he abandoned that one, I think, when he was 12. <laughs> Charlie Paris, it's been so great to talk to you. We're going to be more in touch with these. Absolutely. This it's Charlie great to have you series. back, my friend. I'm glad you're healthy. I'm feeling good. I uh, feel good. And uh, like I said, I'm going to get back to my workout routine of 10 cannibals in a sauna here in a month. And uh, I will keep you posted as I try to keep my girlish figure. Yeah, boy. Have a good one, Paul. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show was produced by Paul Mensa, engineered by Brett Johnson. We'd like to thank our guest, Charlie Pierce, for taking part in the Wall of Power Radio Hour. I've got a big show coming up March 25th at the Women's Club in Minneapolis, a music and storytelling series about my book, Alphabet Jazz, which you can get on Amazon or at the Electric Fetus. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. Power will fall.